0: All right, folks, the long-awaited discussion on ADHD. I'm here to talk with you. I think two or three weeks ago about ADHD, I said I would uh, talk about ADHD. Hold on, that was word salad. About two or three weeks ago when I uploaded my last episode about personal stories, I said towards the end of it that I'd talk about ADHD. I've kind of been putting it off because I don't like to make promises and have to follow through on them, quite frankly. I like doing this off the cuff of my... Uh, off the seat of my pants, randomly, whenever I feel like just rambling about shit that I know. That being said, I have got my sources ready, I've done my reading and my research, and I want to introduce it. So let's start off. What is ADHD? Well, uh, the definition says that it's a chronic condition including attention difficulty, hyperactivity, and impulsiveness. Genetic disorder usually, although I will talk about how people can develop ADHD through behaviorism and conditioning, Uh, normally it it affects people in childhood, but it can go on into adulthood and can contribute to things like low self-esteem, troubled relationships, and difficulty at school or work. Who is to say how any of those things feed into one another? Now, the main reason I'm doing this is because you see these days a huge uptick in the amount of people who claim to have ADHD, specifically in the youth, right? On social media, TikTok and Twitter especially, people are ranting and raving about what it's like to have ADHD and how they've always had it and how it's always been this and that. And uh, I think that uh, this is a critical misunderstanding of mental health and uh, psychology. I think that Far fewer people have ADHD than they know, than they think they do, Uh, and what's really funny is whenever you say that, people tell you that you're gaslighting or gatekeeping. They uh, try to tell you that you're taking away their reality, their self-definition, their self-description, as if psychiatry, psychology, and neuroscience are things that we can just attribute to feelings instead of actual research and science. But no, no, no. Science is an inherently racist system, and it can't be trusted. All of this creation that's come from it doesn't matter at all, apparently. Which is why, if you think that, you should throw your phone away, because your phone is a result of science. The symptoms that people are saying are ADHD aren't ADHD, most likely. Like, things like being incapable of, like, focusing on work or being demotivated to do things. Doesn't necessarily have to be ADHD sourced. Uh, It could come from getting poor sleep, having a poor diet, can come from general depression, could be PTSD, could be OCD, could be any number of things. Without professional diagnosis, official professional diagnosis, you don't actually know. And it's dangerous to go around touting out that you do know that about yourself without actually being proven, verified by a trained professional because it influences younger, more impressionable people to say that they've got it when they simply don't. When they don't. Whenever they're simply like demotivated or they don't want to do something that just puts them off because it's not very fun. right? Young people are extremely suggestible. And I'm saying that you shouldn't be so irresponsible If you're a full-grown adult without having an official diagnosis saying that you've got this you shouldn't be like you shouldn't go around saying that you've got this because it's irresponsible it sets a bad influence for the kids that are extremely suggestible right so these kids whenever they're growing up they have to learn that they need to do things that they don't want to do but they can chalk up demotivation for doing boring shit to saying they've got ADHD and they'll look to you as a role model Uh, Reinforcing that and suddenly they're going down this path of limiting their potential it's so harmful It's so harmful because the rhetoric out there about what people with ADHD are more likely to do can also Misguide these kids to doing those things like drug abuse for instance People with ADHD are much more likely to get addicted to drugs They're much more likely to abuse drugs because of the instant gratification of it all a kid who doesn't have ADHD but thinks they do, might see that, and then somewhere in their mind convince themselves to start using drugs and get hooked on them. Or not even hooked, maybe it's just marijuana, sure, maybe it's just marijuana, but you can abuse marijuana, and if you abuse marijuana at too young of an age, it can have detrimental effects. Now, this is coming from somebody who did that himself, and then also decided to go back so to speak, stop doing it while my brain was still developing. Well, actually, technically, my brain is still developing, even though I'm 27 years old. Um, But while my frontal lobe was still developing and kind of like, let it finish. Because maybe let's say that they get into a small little stint of abusing drugs for like a year, whenever they're in adolescence. Uh, That's not severe enough or long enough to actually stop development permanently. After about three weeks of abstinence from any drug that they're doing, if they've only abused it for a year during adolescence, the brain is capable of making up the lost time of development. Because the brain still develops, it just develops slower whenever you abuse drugs. I'm, I don't want to get into all of that, but just saying, uh, people who are still in adolescence or whose brains are still developing, if they stop relatively soon enough and give their brain time to heal, they can make up the lost time and... Pretty much get exactly where they were always going to be had they never abused the drugs. But yes, this is really this is really a a, this podcast episode is really about diagnostic accuracy and learning to trust professionals. I don't I really don't like the rhetoric just spewn around the internet about not trusting doctors about how doctors are inherently racist, sexist, homophobic. I mean, actually I do like that because. Technically, the medical industry and the pharmaceutical industries are very ableist and catered towards the patriarchy because they're created by the patriarchy and reinforced by it, of course. But I still think that we need to allow professionals to do their job because there are professionals who are trained to diagnose despite patriarchal norms. There are non-cis-het white male psychiatrists out there that can analyze you who come from you know, non-traditional Western patriarchal backgrounds that can see you from a different perspective and diagnose you based on, you know, less favoritism. I mean, have you seen high schools? I've got friends that work as high school teachers. They are up to their last nerve dealing with kids who insist that they've got autism or ADHD. Just, like... 60% of these kids, 40% of these kids, an insane margin. There is no way, you can't convince me that 3 out of 10 kids, even if it's only 30%, 3 out of 10 kids all have ADHD. You cannot convince me of that. Now, you can convince me of people having been conditioned and trained to exhibit ADHD-like behavior, from demotivation, or from other external factors, from being taught uh, how to behave or how to engage in their environment, because whenever, whenever you get into this system of groupthink, whenever you get into a group of people that all think and behave a certain way, and then attribute it to some cause, some phenomenon, some ethereal phenomenon, we'll say it's the idea of what ADHD is, it's much easier to adopt that into your own life and internalize it. So as I said, I'm here to explain the neurobiology of it and dive into detailed research about what the actual clinical diagnoses are. If you don't want to trust me because I'm not a psychiatrist myself, I'm just a researcher, then don't. Don't listen. I don't really mind, uh, and I totally understand if you'd rather get it from the horse's mouth. This is me using my training and actual research to apply to this sort of question to figure out exactly what the details are and then translate it into a communicative form that people can actually digest and understand right what i'm saying i'm not here to give off all the technical jargon that you have to do all the wikipedia searching and uh, definitions for you uh i'll do all of that for you and then simplify it here so starting off what ADHD specifically is is a debilitating disorder and it's diagnosed based on the basis of having persistent and developmentally inappropriate levels of overactivity, inattention and impulsivity. That doesn't mean that you get bored and start daydreaming at times. It doesn't mean that you necessarily oh that you like want to stand <sighs> fuck, I, I'm I'm thinking a little bit faster than I can talk for a second there. Uh, that doesn't mean that whenever somebody pisses you off, you want to punch them in the face. That doesn't mean that that's that kind of impulsivity. It doesn't mean that whenever you're bored in class, that you want to daydream and not be there and look out the window. It also doesn't mean whenever you want to go run, when you're feeling like cramped up or having some sort of claustrophobic episode that you have ADHD as well. Those are very normal things. And before you tell me that it's a spectrum, yes, I understand that it's a spectrum. I know what spectrums are. All right. Before you tell me that it's a spectrum, I want you to know that you might be saying this already, but somebody's Propensity to behave that way or to feel that way is more strongly indicative of having ADHD. So, getting bored in class and looking out the window, even if it's every day, that doesn't exactly indicate ADHD. That could indicate any number of other things. Maybe they've got a passion for something else. Maybe they have eaten lots of salty and really sugary foods or they have a poor sleep schedule maybe they're depressed maybe they have anxiety or some sor- some sort of PTSD anxiety and depression are much much stronger Uh, correlates for that behavior than ADHD as well. ADHD can express itself in many different ways. So if somebody is generally inattentive and they're not exactly getting really good grades in class, sure, it could be because of ADHD, but the numbers would say that it's more likely chalked up to depression of some sort or anxiety. Especially the inattentive one many people think that they have ADHD because they're listening to somebody and their brain trails off and they get lost in their own thoughts. They're not able to pay attention to a conversation. That's a big one. People say that that's like the one of the surest signs of ADHD, right? Whenever you go and tell people that inattentiveness isn't necessarily a sign of ADHD, they come back and say, oh, well, it's a spectrum. And once you're at a point where you start drilling off in conversations, that's where you've crossed the threshold of ADHD on that spectrum. And I would say, say no, many professionals would also say no, not necessarily. Other people can trail off in conversation while listening to somebody without it being ADHD, namely anxiety or PTSD or CPTSD. And seeing how anxiety, PTSD, and CPTSD can be developed through trauma, those are much more likely reasons for somebody to behave that way. Now am I saying that somebody with ADHD who behaves that way is not behaving that way out of ADHD? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is, if you haven't gotten officially diagnosed with ADHD, get professionally screened first. Rule those things out. Now, let's talk about the genetic effects, or the genetic causes behind what ADHD is. Um, People used to think that there's just an ADHD gene, but it's not exactly so. And this, what I'm about to say, explains why it's a spectrum. Um, It's likely to be affected or instigated from many genes that each have small individual effects. Some of those genes actually have effects that affect the size and and the dimensions also, so not only the size but the shapes, of the frontal lobes, the caudate nucleus, and the cerebellar vermis. Okay, so I'm going to quickly cover what those three brain regions are. So the frontal lobes are the largest lobes in the human brain. Right? Uh, they're the most common region of injury in traumatic brain injury as well, which is kind of interesting. So traumatic brain injury can affect the frontal lobe development or its activity in the same way that ADHD can. Ost- ostensibly in the same way that ADHD can. All right, uh, so the frontal lobes, they're re- responsible for controlling voluntary movement. Deciding you know whenever you're gonna move your arms so dancers have probably got very, pretty strong and fully developed well-developed healthy frontal lobes uh, Expressive language so people that have a good Vernacular good, you know dictionary in their brains uh, And also a good sense of expressing their emotions Verbally uh, and then also it's responsible for managing higher-level executive fun- functions you'll find Uh, later on as I cover the, I think it's called the superior fasciculus, um, that people with ADHD have issues with balance and bodily coordination, uh, but also having a compromised frontal lobe would have issues with that because of the voluntary movement that it's responsible for. Now, let's talk about damage to the frontal lobe and what that can look like. Uh, It can look like loss of simple movement of various body parts, so paralysis, the inability to plan a sequence of complex movements needed to complete multi-stepped tasks, such as making coffee. Sequencing, right? People with ADHD do have issues with sequencing, but so do people with damage to the frontal lobe. Um, they have a loss of spontaneity in interacting with other, others, so I guess you could say a flat affect to some degree. Uh, an inability to express language, Broca's aphasia. A uh, loss of flexibility in thinking and persistence of a single idea or behavior. So, persova- perseveration. Persever. Okay, first off, it's perseverance, but this says perseveration. That's, that's a weird word. Anyway, the inability to focus on a task and to filter out distractions, so attention, mood fluctuations, emotional lability. Uh, Difficulty problem-solving, difficulty inhibiting or controlling a response to an impulse, so disinhibition. (laughs) Reduced motivation, initiation and persistence on activities, so uh, adenamia. Reduced awareness slash insight into difficulties, so not having much foresight, not really having much of a concept of consequences. Changes in social behavior, which there can be numerous, and then also changes in personality. Now, the caudate nucleus, you know, abnormalities in the caudate nucleus, that next brain function, that next brain region. Uh, What does the caudate nucleus do? So, its primary functions are also in planning the execution of movement. So, uh, already you can see, with uh, compromised frontal lobe and compromised caudate nucleus, you know, either being smaller or just having different shapes and activities and connections, they're already not going to be as in control of their body, which is actually kind of interesting because you find that people with ADHD have a bit more difficulty discerning left from right. Ask a person with ADHD, hey man, turn left, and watch them have to think about it for a second. Left and right, if you know your left from your right immediately and you always have, that's a pretty good sign that whatever your ADHD-like symptoms are, are not actual ADHD. But there are more functions of the caudate nucleus. We've got learning, memory, reward, motivation, emotion, and romantic interaction. And what's funny is input to this part of the brain mainly comes from the cortex. Now, the cortex is the outermost area of the brain. It is, if you were to see a brain, it is what you would see. It's the outside region of it. It's the plate covering everything inside. Uh, All of those, that pink, well, it's really like a grayish brown, but like those that entity of all those folds and ridges uh, called sulci and gyri, yeah, that's the cortex, all of that on the outside. Um, But it comes, so it travels from the cortex, but mainly, get this, from the ipsilateral frontal lobe. So already we see, with a compromised frontal lobe, either through development, or, well, for a person with ADHD, yes, through development, through genetics, we see a compromised frontal lobe and a compromised caudate nucleus, and the primary form of communication between the two, or I mean the primary form of input for the caudate nucleus actually comes from the frontal lobe, the ipsilateral frontal lobe, which ipsilateral, it sounds like a specific brain region. That's only saying that it's on the same side of the body. So essentially it's saying that the caudate nucleus gets most of its inputs from the part of the frontal lobe that's on the same side of the brain as the caudate nucleus. So, having issues with learning, memory, reward, motivation, emotion, romantic interaction. This is the part of the brain region that gets a lot of input from the frontal lobe. So, uh, and you can see how these two areas kind of function together. They do similar things. Uh, And so one being compromised, I guess, automatically would compromise the other one, especially the, the other one being as closely connected to that initial one. But, as you'll find out, there is a brain region called the superior longitudinal fasciculus, which, wouldn't you know it, lays the connection between the frontal lobe and other areas of the ipsilateral hemisphere. The same-sided hemisphere. The part of the... The the, the hemisphere is either the right or the left side. The same side of the brain. So in a way, you could say it's mirrored on both sides, right? There's the superior longitudinal fasciculus that spans the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain um, and the connections of the right side of the brain that connect to the right side of the frontal lobe they're called ipsilateral to that frontal lobe because they're on the right side of the brain and the ones so vice, vice versa for the left side uh, the parts of the brain on the left side that connect to the frontal lobe are on the ipsilateral side of that frontal of that side of the frontal lobe and the superior longitudinal fasciculus is responsible for connecting the two well not really two it's for connecting you know the left the whatever is on the left side of the frontal lobe to other parts of the brain behind it also on the left side of the brain and connecting the part the uh, the right side of the frontal lobe to the other parts of the brain on the right side i hope that makes sense i i i'm i'm trying to cover a lot of ground here and i'm trying to do it quickly um but it's part of a longitudinal, or the longitudinal association, fiber system. So basically longitudinal from front to back, uh, and it makes sure to keep the connections from the frontal lobe to the other parts of the brain that the frontal lobe is communicating with, all on the same side of the brain. Whichever side the firing initiated on the frontal lobe. I mentioned the superior longitudinal fasciculus when talking about the frontal lobe and the caudate nucleus, I'm going to get into the third one here soon, the other one that I listed earlier here soon. But I wanted to do this because whenever I did my research on what ADHD looks like neurobiologically, the superior longitudinal fasciculus was a primary point of concern. Seeing as the superior longitudinal fasciculus, and even the inferior longitudinal fasciculus, mainly just the longitudinal fasciculus, that's... that fiber bundle that connects different brain regions together. Seeing as it's compromised in people with ADHD, you can see behaviorally what's called response time variability. Specifically in the right hemisphere, it's called in the right hemispheric frontoparietal attention network, which includes the superior longitudinal fasciculus, the inferior longitudinal fasciculus, and then a third one called the cingulum bundle. They each show what's called microstructural abnormalities in patients with ADHD, having lower levels of white matter. Now, what is white matter? White matter is what's called the myelin sheath around axons and dendrites of neurons. This fibrous bundle acts like large axons and dendrites, large arms for neurons that connect different brain regions uh, to the side of the brain that the frontal lobe is on, right? or the side of the frontal lobe that that, that they are on, rather. Uh, by having less white matter in these attention networks, in these structures within the attention network, specifically in the right hemispheric frontoparietal front attention network, they are not as myelinated. They are not as insulated. The connections between the frontal lobe and then the other parts of the brain that connect to them via these attention networks they are not as insulated meaning that the connection isn't as strong and why is that why does insulation of axons and dendrites increase the strength of connection well it's simply this two neurons the soma bodies of a neuron of neurons are connected via those axons and dendrites one will create this electrical pulse or have a release of ions um, I'll call either or electrochemical information. They will send electrochemical information to one another via these arms, these axons, and these—excuse oh, me—and these dendrites. Axons send out information, and dendrites receive information. So axon exit, dendrite enter, right? Um, the electrochemical information, however, spills out. There are tiny little pores on these axons and dendrites as they travel from soma body to soma body, from neuron to neuron. The electrochemical information spills out, and that weakens the signal transduction so that there is, as, there is not as much of a signal sent. There's not as much transition, transmission between neurons. The myelin sheath, white matter, insulates around the axons and dendrites and covers up those pores so that electrochemical information can stay within them and travel from neuron to neuron by having less white matter in these networks these attention networks the within the attention network the superior longitudinal fasciculus inferior longitudinal fasciculus and the cingulum bundle there is going to be weaker signal transduction between the frontal lobe and then the other parts of the brain that it connects to. Which doesn't only explain the behavioral abnormalities in patients with ADHD, but it also the structural abnormalities. Because with less action, with less communication between these brain regions, there is not as much of a need for them to develop fully. Or rather, normally. And finally, the cerebellar vermis. The third brain region that I talked about when I explained the caudate nucleus and the frontal lobe, when I read off the caudate nucleus and the frontal lobe, we've got the cerebellar vermis. This is located beneath your occipital lobe. It's in the back of your brain at the bottom. It's in the cerebrum, and it separates the cerebrum into two parts. I'm sorry, I meant to say the cerebellum, not the cerebrum, the cerebellum it separates the cerebellum into anterior and posterior lobes. So, basically, it spans the cerebellum from the left to the right side. It's a little line, pretty much. Uh, And decreased volume of the cerebellar vermis is associated with greater ADHD symptom severity. But what does it do? Well, it facilitates communication between the spinal cord and the cerebrum to maintain a balance between input from the peripheral nervous system and output from the central nervous system. It coordinates activity between the peripheral nervous system and the central nervous system. It is that middle ground part of the brain responsible for moderating posture, uh, heartbeat during different forms of activity, bodily movement you know output from the central nervous system to input in the peripheral nervous system so decision making in the central nervous system how to use the peripheral and then communication of that decision making to the peripheral nervous system so basically with adhd you see a discommunication between Two parts of the brain that are responsible for coordinating movement in the frontal lobe and the caudate nucleus, right? And then another part of the body, another part of the brain, sorry, that's responsible for executing that executive decision-making into the body. These brain regions are all responsible for very different well, very, very similar aspects of behavior, mainly for bodily coordination and movement and then execution from that planning, from the bodily the planning of bodily movement into the body, right? And then that also leads uh, to mood disorders, mood dysregulation disorders, personality disorders, and a number of other issues. But these brain regions that do these similar things are all also connected by the attention network, the front parietal, the right Sorry, the right hemispheric frontoparietal attention network that includes, again, the superior longitudinal fasciculus, the inferior longitudinal fasciculus, and the cingulum bundle. With this brain structure having compromised levels of white matter, which makes communication between the parts of the brain that it connects weaker, they are less capable of executing the functions that come from those different brain regions communicating. So the cerebellar vermis is primarily responsible again for coordinating the body with the brain and then the caudate nucleus is responsible for planning and executing that movement or basically sending those signals to the cerebellar vermis, but also it's responsible, the caudate nucleus is also responsible for learning, memory, reward, motivation, emotion, and romantic interaction. Now it's somewhere in between the cerebellar vermis and the frontal lobes. I would say for these three primary brain structures, it's, it is literally in the middle. It's, if you look at a diagram of it, it's in the middle of the brain, so from the front to the back of the brain we have the frontal lobe, the caudate nucleus, and the cerebellar vermis being in the back um the caudate nucleus i i think is like a central processing factory for whatever executes these executive functions that are used from all three brain regions connections so again planning and execution of movement that's in all three of them uh but the learning the memory reward motivation emotion romantic interaction is specific to the caudate nucleus and those are all connected to the frontal lobe you could say in the caudate nucleus those are inspired and then the inspiration to do them is then brought to the frontal lobe and organized and planned and executed because again the frontal lobe is responsible for expressive language and also Is also responsible not only for voluntary movement, but expressive language and then higher-level executive functions. Those higher-level executive functions being the functions inspired from the caudate nucleus, being learning, memory, reward, motivation, emotion, and romantic interaction. These things being higher-level executive functions doesn't mean that they are exclusive to humans, but rather they are particularly notable in humans. Because while other animals on this planet show capability with those arenas of behavior, humans excel within them. So, um, that is a quick overview of some of the neurobiological characteristics of ADHD. Let's get back into the behavioral expression of it, right? because neurophysiological, neuropsychological testing has revealed well-documented differences between neurotypical children and typ- or rather, children with and without ADHD. You can be neurologically atypical without ADHD, although the def- definitions of neurotypicality are, as we all know, catered towards a patriarchal system. But for now, let's just focus on the literature available to us. What are the differences? What are those main differences? Well, they occur in two main domains, as we know, executive functions um, and motivation. But I, I remember, difficulty with executive functions or with motivation are specific to ADHD. You can have issues with those things and it not be ADHD. The main point of this literature was to focus was to focus on how reinforcement mechanisms can be changed with people with adhd specifically kids in other words kids with adhd have altered reinforcement mechanisms they learn differently they have a different sense of what it what like urgency is They also have an altered response to reinforcement. So they are not going to be as responsive to positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement. They're not going to basically learn as easily. Another thing though, particularly, they are sensitive to the delay of reinforcement. They need reinforcement to happen fast, like immediately and constantly, because the less they get reinforced, the quicker they disengage. Which, again, brings me back to why they typically become, or rather, why they are more likely to abuse drugs. Because drugs are instant gratification. It's also just more higher levels of addiction in general uh, to things like video games or pornography or you name it. Particularly, they wanted to focus on how dopamine's interactive with reinforcement techniques. with reinforcement, just in general. So, like at the cellular and the systems level, what role does dopamine play in facilitating reward? Because for neurotypical people, dopamine cell firing is normal for reinforcing events. Uh, and the more consistently a neurotypical person gets dopamine from any number of events, the earlier and earlier on, they will get fires of dopamine go off from engaging in a process that builds up to that pattern. So basically with neurotypical people, whenever they do a process that gives them a re- their, that gives them a reward, they are able to with repeated reward, with repeated engagement in this process, they're able to add more and more steps from further away so that they can learn more and more things that they can do to optimize their execution of that process and getting that reward. So let's say with getting a good grade on a midterm, they do it at first by reading and studying and then they find out that reading and studying actually helps them get a good grade so they learn to have a process set up that gets them into the mode of reading and studying effectively rather uh than say rather than saying effectively of doing it consistently so they're able to build a process of getting into the studying and the reading mode right they're able to say they wake up say if they don't have a job or something they wake up they um brush their teeth take a shower put on clothes make coffee uh make breakfast look at stocks and read some article all of this just to get in the mode of actually pursuing their reading and their studying each time that they engage in this routine they strengthen the connection that that routine has with whatever rewarding function they do, whether it be reading, or studying, or woodcrafting, or making some money somehow. Uh, But people with ADHD, they have a neurobiological failure to transmit or transfer uh, dopamine in the systems that create these processes. Dopamine does not fire off in regulated levels, meaning that they're not able to behaviorally sequence events that lead to desired outcomes as well. It is dysregulated and disconnected, and therefore much more scrambled and chaotic. This looks like scrambled and confused speech. This looks like putting on one shoe before you put on the... and then putting on a coat before you put on the second shoe. This looks like not only misplacing your keys, but straight up never putting them in the same spot and always losing them. Um, This looks like getting halfway through brushing your teeth and then deciding to start combing your hair. And it also looks like getting turned around and completely confused and discombobulated at any, at any moment. Not knowing what to do with your hands, not knowing where to step, not knowing exactly how to stand, uh, losing your balance easily, not very well determining where sounds come from, uh, left and right getting confused pretty easily as well it looks like needing instant reinforcement, instant reward for doing anything even slightly correct. Otherwise, um, because of the mood dysregulation that also comes from a compromised frontal lobe and caudate nucleus in there, and also the connection between the two of them, also having an extremely negative reaction to not getting that immediate reinforcement. Also, it looks like being extremely sensitive to rejection or uh, being disliked as well. Extreme emotional dysregulation and sensitivity and extreme impulsivity, at least for the kids that are more overactive, hyperactive, you know. For the less hyperactive traits, the inattention, um, that comes from, again, I would say a compromised... Uh, attention network, so you know, the superior longitudinal fasciculus, the inferior longitudinal fasciculus, and the cingulum bundle. That simply makes it so that they don't communicate and connect as effectively and fully. And there are many genes that not only affect the connection between these three primary brain regions, of which there are more, I'm sure, uh, but there are also genes responsible for the development of the cerebellar vermis the frontal lobes and the uh, the caudate nucleus as well right and any of these however many genes that are responsible for the development of these different brain regions and also the communication of them i.e the development of this attention network that can that connect them uh, can give rise to different adhd-like traits Because different regions of these brain structures are responsible for each of those different functions. You know, in the frontal lobe, the voluntary movement, the expressive language, the managing higher-level executive functions. Each of those higher-level executive functions, they're not all computed all across the frontal lobe at the same time. They are computed in different parts of the frontal lobe separately. And those different parts of the frontal lobe have different genetic underlying roots. So any of the genes for any of these regions of the frontal lobe responsible for any of these number of things could be compromised that lead to, you know, ADHD-like traits. Same for the genes for the caudate nucleus. You know, the caudate nucleus was responsible, or is responsible for, again, execution of movement. So, you know, you've got the frontal lobe that plans the movement, and then the caudate nucleus executes it and sends it to the cerebellar vermis that then outputs it into the peripheral nervous system so you've got all of those different levels in the planning and execution of bodily movement being compromised in any number of ways uh obviously with one of them being compromised there's going to be a backwards feedback delayed development between the other two because the other two are not going to be as necessary so like a, a poorer development in the part of the codate nucleus responsible for planning the execution of movement could therein dysregulate the connection between it and the cerebellar vermis uh, making the cerebellar vermis not as necessary Uh, and it could also dysregulate the connection between it and the part of the frontal lobe responsible for planning that executive movement the same could go for saying maybe the cerebellar vermis was compromised first the part of the brain that's responsible for executing that movement in the body, or sending that movement to the peripheral nervous system. Maybe since it's not as capable of sending it to the peripheral nervous system, then a well-developed caudate nucleus, or at least region of the caudate nucleus responsible for the execution of movement, is not as necessary anymore. So, you know, synaptic pruning happens in the regions that are responsible for that. And the same thing goes for the regions of the frontal lobe responsible for planning that executive movement and the connections between the two therein. And, of course, the same can be said for uh, poorer development, genetic development of the part of the frontal lobe responsible for planning that executive movement that then, you know, you know. I've said two other examples. But not every ADHD person is alike. Maybe they have uh, just fine bodily coordination, um, but whenever it comes to learning memory and reward and motivation, that's where the problem lies. Which, in which case, uh, would be an issue with the production and regulation of dopamine and i i included motivation in with that because it somewhat is but then also emotion and romantic interaction that very well uh could be controlled by different regions of the frontal lobe uh, and the caudate nucleus than the other ones that are responsible for learning reward memory or for bodily executive motion so like having just dysregulated emotions in general Uh, and romantic interaction. Maybe um, the person has, a person with ADHD has perfectly fine emotions and romantic interactions, but they struggle with other aspects, like in the balance, or vice versa. Their balance is fine, but they struggle with the emotion and romantic interaction and also the memory and reward. Uh, As I'm saying, though, like, all of these things, this is why... One, it's important to recognize it as a spectrum, but also it's important to recognize that the genetic factors that create these sorts of abnormalities are rare, much rarer than the amount of people online using ADHD as a scapegoat to get out of whatever behavioral abnormalities come from depression or anxiety or PTSD or OCD or something else. And without the professional diagnosis, through self-diagnosis, you might feel like you're validating some past sense of trauma, sure. But I want you to know, that could have just been trauma that made you depressed and demotivated. It might not have been ADHD. It could have been something else that you need to hear. Like, let's say let's say you learn as an adult, like, oh, I had these issues as a kid and they look like ADHD. Um, I had these issues as an adult, but they look like ADHD. I feel so validated, but the issues continue, right? And you might not be able to see a psychiatrist, but what if those issues actually came from trauma? What if they actually came from being emotionally scarred? And because of the fact that you never got that validated by seeing a professional psychiatrist it persisted, and you're still living in that own personal torment, that own personal hell. In which case, actually having that personal torment and that personal hell validated would be a much better outcome than just believing you've got ADHD and then being put on some medication that you don't need. You can also develop ADHD-like symptoms from... overstimulation, from being on your phone too much, Which I think is hysterical to hear these kids say they've got ADHD while they're all on TikTok and Twitter constantly. Because TikTok and Twitter and even video games have a way of constantly reinforcing all of your actions immediately. And they could create ADHD-like symptoms because of how they modify your brain to behave from that constant reinforcement. Uh, Depression. And anxiety are other forms of this. You know, PTSD, I guess you could chalk it up to going through uh, some sort of traumatic event or living in some sort of sad environment that constantly keeps you demotivated. Your diet it plays a huge part. If you're not eating enough fruits and vegetables, the... Nutrients getting to your body, getting to the cells in your body, are going to be lacking. If you're only taking in salty and sweet foods, especially if you're taking in too much caffeine, if you're taking in too much meat and not getting enough water, fruits, and vegetables, the communication between your cells, especially in your brain, is going to be more shoddy, more sporadic. It's not going to be as well regulated. Those vitamins and those minerals that come from fruits, vegetables, and water, they help almost to act like this padding, supportive transporter between different substrates in your body. Simply sugar, salt, and protein is not going to help with moderating and controlling the connection of these different we'll, tar, well say parts of the brain, right? The protein is going to help build the structures, and the salt and the sugar is going to help transduce the firing. But what's going to moderate the upkeep of this information? That's where you get the minerals, that's where you get the fruits and the vegetables, and not having a balanced diet can create ADHD-like symptoms. And finally, if I didn't, if, if everything else didn't matter, this matters, good sleep. Getting good sleep is the quintessential body upkeep process out of everything else. If you have a poor diet, that poor diet can somewhat be compensated for by getting a good sleep schedule. However, a poor diet is also going to compromise your sleep schedule, so... This can create a positive feedback loop of a poor diet, creating a poor sleep schedule, creating uh, lower regulation of all of your executive functions that can also that can then lead people to abuse you, which this sounds like victim blaming, I'm sorry, but lead people to abuse you and then people abusing you, which they shouldn't, they're in the wrong for doing that, from poor performance or from poor emotional regulation can then feed into the emotional uh, traumas that force you into addictive patterns maybe drugs uh, and alcohol um, maybe staying up too late maybe too much video games procrastination uh, comfort foods that all just reinforce this toxic cycle of self-destruction if you're having these issues of ADHD-like symptoms without actually having ADHD or having it be officially diagnosed or you don't think you've always experienced this, you feel like there was a time in your childhood where you were able to focus on tasks and learn things like a normal person, I promise you, you have the capability of getting back to that state, stable baseline of executive functioning. You need to go to therapy, learn how to heal your emotions, get your feelings validated, process traumas that are bogging you down, bogging your body down and creating psychosomatic pain, and also dysregulating the balance in your body because the body keeps the score, you know, trauma shows itself in your body seeing as the body reflects the subconscious, where the face reflects the conscious mind. So uh, whenever you have subconscious traumas that you haven't processed, they manifest themselves as psychosomatic pain in the body that can create a poor balance or a disconnect from your body that looks like an ADHD-type bodily dysregulation. And cut out high-fructose corn syrup. And extremely salty foods, or at least cut out high fructose corn syrup and start drinking a lot more water. Because water can help to balance the blood chemistry from the affected blood chemistry of having too much salty food. Uh, By drinking more water and balancing out your pH and your blood, pretty much your blood pH, you're going to have better sleep. And by having better sleep, your body is going to be able to heal itself better, and you will have a much better time overcoming your traumas. Uh, that's it. That's it for all of this. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope I didn't piss you off too terribly if you feel like you've got ADHD and I uh, invalidated your reality. Go ahead. Get screened by a professional psychologist. Save up five to $700 because we live in the hellscape that is America. Um, but that's, you know, like I said, that's all I've got for today. If hearing this made you believe that I've got ADHD, i I promise you I don't Um, and uh, I'm just excited I am streaming on twitch abandoned energy that's my twitch name all one word no numbers or anything else Um, that's my uh, youtube name as well I'm trying to put some call of duty clips up there I'm thinking about streaming other stuff I have a Patreon if you want to follow my Patreon. I want to put more stuff on there. Uh, I don't have any Patreon subscribers yet. I want to figure out... I want to devote some time into like developing my Patreon and making it more official and public. you know. But um, if you want to support me in any of those ways, just go ahead, follow me on those platforms, or just spread my TikTok around and get my publication out there. I want to see about public... Uh, publishing some poetry and some artwork or selling artwork. I want to see about getting into merchandise and what I can do to design some fashion because that would be really interesting. I have some cool shirts in mind, cool pants and blankets and all that good stuff. So stick around, stay tuned. We are only getting started. Thank you so much.